Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. This episode following a week seven loss to the Buffalo Bills at home, 18 to 10, the New York Jets fall short. And even though they only scored 10 points, there's actually a lot to be excited about in this game. Now, the stats weren't there. This wasn't a really flashy game for the New York Jets or for the Buffalo Bills for that matter. But we had a new play caller. We got a bunch of guys reinserted into the lineups that we'd been sorely missing or waiting to see play. And we actually played in the first half our best football of the season. Second half, totally different story. But the offense was clicking in the beginning, partially behind Dawa Loggins, partially behind the new players, and up against a division rival, the division leader, Buffalo Bills, it felt pretty good for a little while. But the New York Jets fall on this one, 0-7, and we got to break that all down. Tons to be optimistic about. Don't worry, it's not going to be as bad as every other week it's been so far this year, because there's a lot to get into. But uh, before we do all that, got to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Remember, as you all know, this is under the Gang Green Nation podcast series title. This is the Jet Life, episode sixty-six or sixty-seven or so right now, and uh, spent a lot of losses in there. Better days ahead, more wins, but for now, this is the Jets loss series. Twenty twenty has not been great to the New York Jets, but that's okay. We're okay with it right now. We understand the plan. The future seems brighter today than it did a week ago. So let's begin recapping this Buffalo Bills 18-10 win against the New York Jets. Tale of two halves, as I mentioned, Dowell Loggins is calling the plays in this one, and we start the game pretty hot. Jets score a field goal on their first drive. They're moving the ball on their second drive, turn it over on downs on a fourth and one to LaMichael Pirine. Their third drive, they score a touchdown, LaMichael Pirine, and then they're knocking on the door with their last drive of the first half. Ends in a Sam Darnold interception, but we were moving the ball down the field and potentially looking to get three more points potentially a touchdown, and take the lead, push it up to 13-3 or 17-3, and really just put the Bills in an uncomfortable situation. Instead, the bad interception by Sam Darnold, really ugly throw, shouldn't have been made to Jeff Smith, who falls over, and triple coverage. Sam wishes he had that one back, but the Bills get the ball back in about 40 seconds. They move the ball down the field to get a field goal. It goes 6-10 at the half. So Jets are playing well. In those four drives in the first half, they're... 11 plays, 67 yards, and a field goal. 12 plays, 46 yards, ending turnover on downs. 7 plays, 80 yards for a touchdown. 8 plays, 21 yards for an interception. So we turned it over on downs. We had an interception in there. We scored 10 points, and in all of those drives, the Jets were moving the ball down the field. Now, in the second half, either Adam Gase thought that Dowell Loggins was making offense look easy and thought he should have a crack at the Bills, or the Bills made adjustments after watching one half of Dawa Lagain's play calling and said, oh, this is what he's doing? This is how we stop it. Because in the second half, not only did the Jets not score, but it went punt, 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 interception to end the game. Worse than that, they weren't even moving the ball. Four plays, 12 yards. Three plays, six yards. Three plays, negative six yards. Three plays, three yards. Three plays, negative five yards. Interception. 
So whatever happened and was working in the first half, the opposite came true in the second half. The Bills figured the Jets out, and we didn't move the ball anymore. And it was just like we've seen last week, the week before, just an ugly, bad offensive performance. No better than what Adam Gase did in that second half. But we did have that first half to enjoy. A couple really good drives, a couple really good plays, and for a majority of the, basically all of the first half, after the Jets scored their first three points, they had a lead. And so that was great. Defensively, when you look at what the Buffalo Bills did, it was the most consistent defensive performance. The Jets gave up yards basically every single time, got the Bills within field goal range, and then they either made it or missed it. It was a bend-don't-break style Greg Williams defense, and there were some nice plays by a few individuals. We did force a fumble at one point. That was the only turnover the Jets forced in the game. But the Bills' possessions were missed field goal, the fumble, Field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal, missed field goal, field goal, field goal, end game. They never punted. They had the one fumble. They're moving the ball well enough. So, I mean, realistically, when you're holding a team to 18 points, you should be able to win. You've got to score more than 18 points. But we saw in the second half, Jets couldn't get anything going. And, you know, that's just 2020 New York Jets for you. So the next thing we got to do is talk about news and notes around this team. First thing... Got to check out on the standings because the Jets currently are in line for the first overall pick. And while that's not what I want, I'd like to see Sam Darnold win his way back as the starting quarterback for the New York Jets and draft, you know, six, seven, eight in that range and get pieces to build around him. But there is a scenario that works where the New York Jets draft first overall and have a really successful future and get a guy like Trevor Lawrence. Who knows? I'm not going to complain if we get a guy like that too, too much. I'll just be sad for Sam Darnold and a guy that I really believed in we got to monitor the teams that are right by us and potentially going for that same first overall spot. When you look at the teams, there's no one else that has zero wins. It's just the Jets. But there are some teams with one win, and those are the Falcons, Giants, Jaguars, Texans, Vikings, and the Bengals, who have one win. They also have a tie mixed in there, so they're going to be slightly higher than any team that's got one win. So they're at the top of that list. Then you got a couple two-win teams, Eagles, Chargers, Broncos, Patriots, Washington, Cowboys. So those are the people that are really close to where the New York Jets are right now. Of course, even if we win a game, we'll still have the worst record in the NFL. But just kind of monitoring them, especially the teams that look like they could have trouble for the rest of the way. Giants, Jaguars, maybe the Vikings, Bengals. I think you got to expect a team like the Falcons, the Texans, honestly, probably the Vikings to win a game or two here and there. The Jets, they got a tough schedule. They're going to have trouble winning a game or two anywhere. But that's what we're looking at in terms of standing and our draft spot. Next bit of news, a lot of hype around this, the trade deadline coming up for the New York Jets. Well, for every team in the NFL for that matter, but more important for the New York Jets because it's looking like a yard sale. November 3rd, 4 p.m. Tuesday is going to be the NFL trade deadline. And as we've seen, the Jets have already released Le'Veon Bell to make cap space. We've traded Steve McClendon. We've traded... Jordan Willis, who actually we got him traded, received draft compensation for a guy that never even played for the Jets. I mean, he did, but very minimally, and he was just a scrap heap pickup guy. And now we're moving him along with the seventh round pick for a sixth round pick. So I think that's good value return on a guy that wasn't worth much to your team. But there's potentially more trades coming up. And I think a lot of that has to do with Joe Douglas's approach as we look at this whole thing. Trade deadline coming up, the Jets will not be buyers. The Jets are poised 
to be sellers. And some of the people that you're looking at, an Avery Williamson, maybe a guy in a one-year deal that could help a, a team out. You know, I don't want to see a guy like Brian Poole go. I don't want to see a guy like Marcus May, who's got a contract that's expiring, go. A Quinn and Williams' name is being mentioned right now. These are potential players that if Joe Douglas sees value, he's going to take it. He seems like an opportunistic guy from what we've seen from his trades in the draft, from his trade of Jamal Adams, and the way that he's given contracts that are very team-friendly and not breaking the bank on anybody. He looks like he really understands value. And if he sees a draft package or a player in a pick package for any one of those guys and then some that are on this roster that aren't part of the the real future of this team, I wouldn't be surprised to see him pull the trigger. Now, the Jets don't have a ton of talent, so I don't know how many phones are going to be ringing for these New York Jets players. But Quinn and Williams' name was mentioned today. Manish Mehta put an article out that the New York Jets are actively shopping Quinn and Williams. I don't believe that to be true. Everybody else, Rich Samini, Costello, anybody else that was writing about it said that's not true. The Jets are not actively shopping Quinn and Williams. I think that it's the same situation as last year. It's like somebody probably called the New York Jets and said, hey, what would it take to get Quinn and Williams? We'd give you a third-round pick and a seventh-round pick. And Joe Douglas is like, yeah, no, we're not going to take that. And then the story leaks. Manish Mehta finds it. He goes, whoa, the Jets are shopping Quinn and Williams. What a big deal. Let's try to destroy this team even more. There's a reason this guy got his credentials revoked. He's an absolute joke. He needs to go away. He's trying to make... There's not that many teams in the league that have a media room of eight, nine beat reporters. First of all, they're usually smaller. Jets have a huge room. And these guys are like, especially Mehta, like trying to sabotage the team just for clicks. It's very competitive. It's got that... That, that, I guess the New York grit that you'd expect from a city like that. People just trying to claw their way up and get any bit of money that they possibly can. Get my clicks. Look at my stuff. I'm better than this guy. And it's just ridiculous. Manish Mehta is the worst of the worst. Puts out stories just for clicks. I don't, uh, I mean, I don't follow him. I don't read his stuff, but it gets thrown my way and I see it. And it's frustrating because hopefully Quinn Williams doesn't believe it. Hopefully his feelings aren't hurt today. He's not feeling down on the team because of some made up report from a, a guy like Meta. And even if the reports are true and they are shopping him, just like, I don't know, phrase it in a better way that doesn't make it seem like the Jets can't wait to get rid of him. So there's a very good scenario where we don't get a draft package that's big enough for our third overall pick from a couple years ago, and he ends up staying on the team. So let's not, you know, sour everything, the whole relationship for no reason. It's just like these guys are in it for clicks. They're not in it for the team. It's a real bummer, the New York beat. So I don't think he's going to be traded but I do think there's a package that Joe Douglas would take for him and really any player on the entire roster except for the guys that he drafted. Mekhi Becton, he wouldn't trade. Because I think at the end of the day, the whole plan for Joe Douglas is to draft. He's trying to acquire draft picks, build a young, cheap team in the areas that he thinks are most important, and then fill in the gaps with the money that he saved to buy free agent veteran players. And that, on paper, does make sense. You could potentially get a bunch of guys in here and given the Jets' draft success recently, I mean, that's the big reason that we're as bad as we are, is that we can't draft well. And Joe Douglas not only acquiring picks, he needs to draft well. And this was his first draft this year, drafted nine players. But I looked back through the history since 2010. So let's take a look at the guys the Jets have gotten. We've looked at these draft classes a bunch of times. We realize just how bad the drafting has been. But I wanted to see, what does it usually look like in terms of finding valuable starters or like real NFL players in these drafts and through 10 drafts from 2010 through 2019 about 19 to 25 guys were like starters decent players good careers good jets 
and like, you know, real NFL quality draft picks, 19 to 25 in 10 years. That's two to two and a half guys per year. So usually if you average an average seven draft picks in a season, normal drafting position, two to two and a half guys is not what you want to see. We're not talking about stars in here. We're not talking about they've drafted one to two stars per year, pro bowlers. We're talking about guys that are like making rosters and continuing to make rosters. Jordan Jenkins level players. Sometimes even worse than that. Now some years, Jets got zero. I mean, you could call Quincy Nunma a success for John Idzik, but other than that, there was nobody. That was a one or zero year. That's as bad as it gets. The best was three. We've never had more than three starting caliber good NFL players in those 10 years from the draft. You could argue four in 2018, but we still got to see what happens with Foley, Fadakasi, Nathan Shepard, and Herndon. There's definitely a chance that one or two or three of those guys bust and end up being off the roster two years from now and, you know, take their ventures elsewhere. Probably out of the NFL, the way that some of those guys are playing right now. But when you look through that, okay, so that means the numbers, you know, if we could get three, that would be the best that we've done in the last 10 years. Four would be amazing. And so on. When you look at this New York Jets team right now, Mekhi Becton definitely looks like he's going to be one of them. Braden Mann, you don't call him like a full player because he's a special teamer, and honestly, he's not amazing right now, but he's starting. And then when you mix in a LaMichael Pirine, a Denzel Mims, and Ashton Davis, you conceivably can see two of those three guys sticking. And then you've got Flyers and Bryce Hall, Jabari Zuniga, Cameron Clark. I've given up any hope on Captain Morgan. But on those other guys, I mean, this looks like a draft that's actually going to be our best one in the last 10 years. It's not super flashy. The guys haven't played all that much right now. But just looking on it, it's not as ugly as all those other drafts where there's this jury's still out. We got a lot of a lot of evaluation to do. But I think we're trending in the right direction. So this game and the rest of the season really is an evaluation game and season for the New York Jets. We got to watch those guys. We got to watch those draft picks and we have to watch last year's draft picks. Got to watch the guys like Quinn and Williams, Marcus May, these younger players that potentially could be part of the future moving forward. LaShawn Austin, Blake Cashman, Foley Fadakasi. The list goes on, but these are the guys that we really need to see a lot out of. And if they pop and they're good, the more of them, the better. The Jets are going to be in a better place there. Less holes to fill. And most of those players that we just mentioned are cheap. Cheap, 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 especially right now. So that's the real plan. And I think that... Uh, this week was definitely a good indicator that there are things to come. So I really want to talk about that stuff, especially the rookies and stuff in this game. But my dad had a very fitting father time that goes right in line with our rookies. And I wanted to make sure that we touched on that before getting into it. Um, a very group think scenario, you know, when we're watching the game together, and we're all kind of watching it like, boom, and we all at the same time are like, look at these rookies. Yeah, this guy. And, and we kind of put these things together and. I don't want to uh, step on any toes because it's combined ideas from everybody. And we're going to move Father Time up to the first section. We're going to do What's on Tap a little later on. This is what we're doing this week. So, starting with Father Time, this written by my father, David Burnham. Here we go. Our New York Jets competed for one half of the Bills game on Sunday. There were some new contributors that were born in the late 1990s that had a positive effect. Denzel Mims looked like he belongs. Big, fast, and strong as advertised. He had some nice catches. 
I'd like to check off a young starting wide receiver of the future, but Mims has only had a good first half. Let's keep watching for more. LaMichael Pirine caught the ball, ran the ball, and scored a touchdown flying for the pylon, switching the football in midair. Maybe Cam isn't Superman anymore. He needs to learn to pick up blitzes and block better. He's going to be a good back and will fit nicely into a running back by committee soon. Bryce Huff had four tackles, one for a loss and two quarterback pressures. That's solid production considering he played less than half the defensive snaps on Sunday. Josh Andrews started for the injured Alex Lewis at left guard. When playing, Lewis is the weak spot on the line, but Andrews made it even weaker. I don't believe that he is NFL caliber. So, with that said, let's get a look at, good look at Cameron Clark, our new rookie who's now ready to play. Hopefully week eight against the Chiefs. Maybe along with yet to start Jabari Zuniga on the defensive front. Somehow, I feel like there's a faint light at the end of the tunnel, and good things are on the way. Joe Douglas's first draft class is finally playing, and so far, so good. The elephant in the room is Sam needs to put up more than 10. I'm a strong Sam supporter, so don't tell anybody that I'll casually be watching Clemson and Ohio State as they finish off their seasons. Go Jets. End scene. Boom, so a lot to unpack here. And you can see why I put this thing early on. A lot of this has to do with player performances coming up. I mean, this is exactly how I'm feeling. I think a lot of us are feeling this way right now. We knew weeks ago that this was an evaluation year. The big issue was we're playing guys like Joe Flacco, throwing to Chris Hogan with Frank Gore running the ball. So it's like, what is really the the positive thing that we're looking for in this game as we score three to six points? There's not much there. But when Sam Darnold's back and he's throwing the ball to Denzel Mims, with Michael Pirine taking 11 carries. Mekhi Becton backing that offensive line, knocking players over. I mean, that's stuff that can get you excited. My dad made some good points. Denzel Mims, great first half. He looked good. He was exactly what we hoped for. Big, strong, physical. He looked the part. He looked like an NFL wide receiver, but it's only been one half. We've got to see more from him. He looks healthy and played over 70% of the snaps. So that's a really good sign in his debut. You can't be upset with what he got, like, about 50 yards in this game. Close to that. I mean, that would be on par if he did that every single week. 800 yards in the season. That would be well above what we'd be looking for from a rookie. Of course, he didn't play all the games, so we'll never get there. you got to keep in mind that even though 40 to 50 yards doesn't seem like a lot, it does add up by the end of the year if you can do that consistently. So we want to see some more consistent play out of him. We'll talk about him a little more later. But Michael Pirine, as my dad mentioned, really good. He's got a block better. Bryce Huff, he's a guy, undrafted free agent, that's coming in here and making a difference. And for a defensive line, an edge group that's really, really weak, it's nice to see somebody having some flashes that's got potential to be on this team for a while. Josh Andrews, like he said, sucks. Alex Lewis sucks also. Left guard is the issue. But guess what? We drafted a guy in Cameron Clark that's actually supposed to play that position of left guard eventually, potentially this year with the way Lewis and Andrews are playing. And if Cameron Clark plays well, I mean, right next to Makai Becton, if you go Becton, Clark, McGovern, you're going to feel really good moving forward as Joe Douglas rebuilds this offensive line and gets us set for the future. Jabari Zaniga, we got to see him play. My dad's right here. The elephant in the room is Sam Darnold. I mean, he and I both are huge fans of Sam Darnold. We're fans in college, fans through the draft, fans up until now. We believe that he's better than we've seen. We believe the Jets are doing him a disservice. Bad play calling, bad talent around him, and he's way better than he's ever shown. That being said, I mean, you heard it from him. He's going to be watching that Clemson-Ohio State just in case. Because Justin Fields, 
Trevor Lawrence, a guy like Trey Lance, who knows? Because the New York Jets are looking to rebuild and move towards the future. It's a possibility we go another route, and you got to be prepared for all those things. So great father time for my dad in this one. Really excited. Happy to be focusing on the rookies. And uh, one thing I wanted to talk about regarding the rookies and why I wanted to get that father time done is there was this great rookie drive. The one touchdown of the game was incredible because on this drive, the Jets go seven plays, 80 yards, and score a touchdown. The only players that picked up yardage for the New York Jets in this drive were LaMichael Pirine, Denzel Mims, and Sam Darnold throwing it. The rest was penalty yardage. And that's it. LaMichael Piran broke off a 20-yarder and dove for the pylon for a five-yard touchdown run. Switching arms, like my dad said, like in midair, was going up, switched to the left arm, reached out before he hit the ground, touched the pylon. That was an awesome-looking play. So he had 27 yards and a touchdown on that drive. Denzel Mims had two catches. I mean, one of his catches was 16 yards. The other one, 11, so yeah, 27 yards. That's one of those drives that, like, you're just looking at the future. It's the only drive the Jets scored a touchdown on. And we haven't scored many touchdowns at all this year. And for one drive, it was LaMichael Pirine, Denzel Mims only. Forget about Berrios. And forget about Perriman and Frank Gore and anybody else touching the football. These two young guys, the draft class from this year, put together with Sam Darnold. The best, probably best drive of the entire season. And Mekhi Becton had a great block on that 20-yard run by Pirine when they ran to his side. And he looked good in there. And so I'm calling that the rookie drive, and that was like the highlight, the apex of this game for me as we're watching that. I'm like, holy moly, this is that group think moment where we're all sitting there like, these rookies are showing up right now. This is that, that Joe Douglas draft class in action. We're seeing it here. And it was a sight to behold. That's everything that we've been hoping for. Really excited from what we saw. Um, yeah. Thank you for the father time, Dad. We're going to go over to some... AFC East check, and then we're going to do team stats and offensive players, defensive players, all that good stuff. But first, commercial. All righty, welcome back. We are going to talk about the AFC East here. It's as we figured, Buffalo Bills still on top after beating the Jets. They're 5-2. and two. Behind them, Miami Dolphins, who had a bye. They're 3-3. Three and three. The Patriots, they got beat up badly by the injured 49ers. They look like one of the worst teams in the NFL. And if you were thinking that as long as Bill Belichick's the coach there, everything's going to be just fine, that's not the case. They're 2-4, and four, and they're actually competing for the first overall pick in the draft because they're one of the worst teams we've seen this year. At a minus 28-point differential, they've lost three in a row, and they can't get anything going. So we love to see that. And the Jets in the basement, 0-7. Oh so this division, it looks like it's a race. Buffalo Bills are clearly in front, but the Dolphins, especially with their switch to Tua, they're looking to try to compete for it. The Jets are out of it, and, you know, the Patriots technically could do something and move right in there. They're only three games back, but from what we've seen, very unlikely. This week coming up, we've got Bills versus Pats, 1 p.m. So, of course, that's the Patriots' real opportunity to catch back up in this division. We'll see what happens there. The Jets will be playing at 1 o'clock also, so, you know, flipping back and forth. Also flipping back and forth at 1 p.m. Dolphins versus Rams. This is going to be the first game with Tua Tungabailoa playing quarterback. So it's very important to kind of monitor him and see how well he does in his debut. You know, I don't want the guy to fail. I like the guy. I don't want him to be, I do want him to fail, right? But I don't want him to be like, you know, have his life ruined and all that stuff. I support the guy, but I don't want to see him be too good. The best thing, honestly, is putting the Dolphins in quarterback purgatory and give him a guy that's like as good as 
I don't know, like an Andy Dalton level guy or like maybe a Ryan Fitzpatrick or, or one of those guys that they just hold on to for way too long. And it's just, it takes like five, six, seven years before they're like, all right, this isn't really the guy. You know, the Bills were, felt like they were doing that year after year. Well, you know, three years after three year for a while. And it really slowed them down and impeded their progress. So hopefully Tua can do that. Find his way to play decent to below average football for four years. Maybe that's what we're doing with Sam Darnold right now. And they're all cheering and applauding that. But uh, I still think Sam's going to be the guy. I hope Sam's going to be the guy. Okay, so that's what we got going on there. Now we got to talk team stats of this New York Jets-Buffalo Bills game. And as you would expect, the New York Jets overall got beat up, but they did win a couple departments because, you know, it was a close 18-10 game. First downs passing, the Jets had five, the Bills had 16. In the game, the Jets had 17 first downs, the Bills had 26. Keep in mind, the Bills scored a field goal basically every single possession, consistently moving the ball, you know, 20 to 50 yards downfield. And the Jets in the beginning of the game, we're moving the ball consistently like 50 yards downfield, and then by the end, we're moving it like negative three yards per drive. The Jets' total yardage in this one, 190. Bills, 422. Yikes. We passed for 91 yards. That's net passing after the sack totals are taken out. The Jets were sacked six times. Sam Darnold was sacked six times for a loss of 29 yards. Rushing, we ran for 99, almost at that one hundo mark. 99 yards rushing, 4.5 yards per attempt, so some decent decent efficiency there. The Bills were 4.7, so they were a little bit better. The area of the Jets were better. Red zone, 1 for 3. The Bills 0 for 5, hence all the field goals. Penalties, the Jets actually were better and more disciplined than the Bills in this game. Bills had 11 penalties for 106 yards. Did it help the Jets? A little bit on their touchdown drive. Other than that, not really. We had 6 penalties for 49 yards. The Jets had more penalties. Turnovers, two interceptions thrown by Sam Darnold. Jets forced one turnover. Josh Allen's fumble. And at the end of the game, the Bills possessed the ball for 34 minutes. Jets, 25 minutes. So when you're looking at that, other than like the discipline and the penalties, the Jets really didn't do well. But the one area that I want to highlight is third down efficiency because we've been horrible at that. And they put the stat up this week, 30% on third down efficiency this year for the New York Jets. That is last in the NFL. We talk about it every week. We've for the last few years, we've talked about third down efficiency being a huge problem for this team. 30% is what they're at on the year. Dead last in the NFL. And this week, two for eight. 25%, even worse than their average, which is dead last. For crying out loud, this team needs to figure out some new plays to call on third down. Clearly. And on fourth and one, can we just quarterback sneak it with Sam Darnold, please? And if not him, don't run Josh Adams. Don't run Trevon Wesco, and don't run Michael Pirine. Run the one head-down, bruising running back that the New York Jets have in Frank Gore if you have to hand it off and run up the middle. He's the guy that's equipped for it. Everybody knows what the Jets are doing here. We've done the same thing over and over. We don't pass on fourth and one. We run up the middle, and for whatever reason, we just try to put in different, less effective running backs at the position for those. So quarterback sneak it with Sam Darnold. Throw it. Try something different, and I don't know. Maybe we'll come convert one fourth down this year. All right, so we are going to move over to offensive players in this game, and it begins with one, Sam Darnold. He is our quarterback coming back. Joe Flacco played the last two games. Sam Darnold's here, and he played a great first half, right? We did have the interception at the end of the first half, but he led a touchdown drive, and the Jets were moving the ball and winning this game. But when it was all said and done, after that horrible second half the Jets played, Sam Darnold finished 12 for 23 
for 120 yards passing, no touchdowns, two interceptions, sacked six times at a 31 quarterback rating. Bad game. It was a bad game. Came back off injury. I mean, he he used his weapons early. He found Denzel Mims early, which I liked. Um, he definitely looked like an improvement right away from Joe Flacco. I mean, he's not going to get the doghouse player of the game in this one, right? Because I think that right away you saw that first half. Like, well, okay, clearly an improvement over Joe Flacco. We are scoring points. We're not getting shut out against a Buffalo Bills team that's probably better than the Dolphins. So at least he's doing that sort of a thing. But 5.2 yards per attempt, just about 50% completion percentage. Those two interceptions, one that was a really bad one he wished he could take back, not moving the ball on the second half, and then taking six sacks. Not his best performance. Uh, I really wish he kept up the first half in this one. He's got a lot. He's got a lot to prove for the remainder of this year. You know, he can't keep having performances like this, or it's going to be very ugly come end of season for the conversations around this franchise. Rushing the football, Frank Gore had his best rushing game of the season. His career with the New York Jets, the best he's done. 11 carries, 60 yards, 5.5-yard average, and he broke off a couple big ones. One 13-yarder, another one that was like 11 or 12. I wanted to give him offensive player of the game because he did so much there, but I couldn't take it away from the other running back in the room, LaMichael Pirine, who equaled Frank Gore's carry number at 11, only at 39 yards. But he had that touchdown, that big touchdown, the only touchdown of the week, the rookie getting in there, switching arms, making that big play, and then add on top of that two catches for 16 yards. So he's at 55 yards in this game, had the touchdown. And I really liked the game I saw from Michael Pirine. He's a guy I'd like to build around. But as my dad said, he's got to learn to block. He wasn't great in the blocking game. He missed a couple assignments. He got Sam Donald sacked once or twice. And those are things that you can't really afford to give up. You know, you can find a running back who can have somewhat similar production and block better. A guy like Bilal Powell, of course. We're used to seeing him block really well. You know, Frank Gore even. We want to give it to LaMichael Piran. We want him to be the guy that pops with the fresh legs a little bit faster and quicker, but not at the expense of losing 15 yards on a sack play that could possibly kill a drive. So LaMichael Piran's got to clean that stuff up, and I'm sure he's going to work on it. He's got Frank Gore in the room. One of those situations where it's nice to have a veteran who can mentor and potentially get him there. The other guy that I wanted to see, our offensive player of the game last week, Ty Johnson, he didn't even get a carry in this game. I was a little bummed out that Dowell Loggins didn't bring him in. You know, credit to getting P. Ryan finally, like, right in that that carry room with Frank Gore instead of just feeding Frank Gore all game like Adam Gase always does. But I wanted to see Ty Johnson. He had a couple nice runs last week. He was our offensive player of the game, and I think he's got a little bit in the tank to, you know, to show as well. I'm sure he'll have some opportunities as the year goes on, though. Going over to the receivers, Denzel Mims led the team. This is the guy we wanted to see. We've been waiting all year for our second-round pick from Baylor to come out here and ball out. Now, we knew he was coming back from a six-week-plus hamstring injury. We weren't sure exactly how many snaps he'd be involved in, how productive he'd be. He's just learning the offense, really, and, you know, he's seen it on paper and in practice, but he's never really been out there with the guys. He doesn't have that chemistry and the rhythm of Sam Darnold or anybody out there. He led the team with four receptions, 42 yards. He had a 16-yarder as the long. Was very active on that rookie drive, scoring the touchdown. He led the team in targets with seven. So that's kind of what you want to see. And he looked healthy. He looked quick. He looked as advertised what you hoped he would be. You know, he dove for a first down. Didn't quite get it, but he did everything right on a five-yard catch to try to make it 11 yards to pick up a first down. And there was one play in the red zone on the left side of the field where Sam Darnold held the, ball, held the ball for too long, probably could have found him earlier, but eventually came back that side, threw to Denzel Mims, and it was tipped away. 
In a situation like that where Mims is waiting for it, I would like him to run towards the ball, be a little bit more aggressive towards it and catch the ball, you know, moving forward so that the defender doesn't have as much of an opportunity to catch up and tip it away. But that's stuff that you learn as time goes on. Braxton Berrios filling in for Jamison Crowder. The slot receiver is the really highlighted role in this offense this season. Braxton Berrios has had productivity every single week that Jamison Crowder has been out. Not anywhere near to the level of Crowder, but clearly the game plan kind of runs through that slot receiver. He also had seven targets, four catches, 35 yards. He had a couple really nice grabs. He had one deep one on like a third and 20. Um, that was actually a really special moment because the Jets don't go for it on third and 20, especially this year, right? They run the ball, they pass it five yards, they give it up, and you just always watch Adam Gase. You're just like, really, dude? Like, we're losing by 20 points. Can you just, like, go for it on the third and 20 and not just give the ball back on a punt? And Sam Darnold on third and 20 with the play calling of Dowell Loggins threw the ball 23 yards to a slanting over Braxton Barrows on the left side of the field, and that was a really awesome play to see because that's not what we do. And it worked, and it kept the drive moving forward. And you know, those were some of those, some of those highlights of the game. Rashad Perriman, he got a little banged up on this game. We'll see if he got a concussion or if he's going to be back next week. Two catches, twenty-seven yards on two targets. He looks okay. Piran, as we mentioned, had those two catches for sixteen yards, and that's it. You're wondering, well, did any tight ends play? Because no catches from Griffin, no catches from Wesco, no catches from Brown, and. What about that guy who has consistently been put in the doghouse week after week after week with the exception of one single week? Chris Herndon. Where was he? Well, he was on the field for over 50% of snaps, again, as he always is. Uh, Just to confirm, he was on the field for 54% of snaps, followed by Ryan Griffin at 47, Trevon Wesco at 16%. So Chris Herndon, all game long, out there. Again, absolutely no offensive production. He goes back in the doghouse for the sixth time this year. Chris Herndon is our doghouse player of the week. And it's becoming, like, ridiculous because why were we so high on him? He was making one-handed catches. He was catching the ball downfield. He was being emphasized in the passing game. He was getting touchdowns. Rookie season, right? He was out last year. Missed it for suspensions and for injuries. But he comes back, and he can't even catch the ball and be involved in this? I mean, this is almost as bad as our tight end production from 2015. It's nowhere near that bad. That was like 95 yards in the season. We're at like 130 right now at the tight end room. It's going to be higher than that, of course, by the end of the season. But Chris Herndon, like he's when you're on the field and you're playing, you got to be catching the ball. Otherwise, get him off of there because he's not that dominant of a blocker. I mean, you could have a guy like Eric Tomlinson, the Jets' old blocking tight end, who could be in there and not catch the ball and block better. I just had, like, so much hope for him, and it's really weird to see him just flopping as hard as he is this year and still getting the playing time. Like, they still know that he's still got something. Otherwise, he wouldn't be on the field. But still, even though he's always out there, the ball doesn't ever find its way to him. I mean, it's it's a mess. So, Chris Herndon, Doghouse Player of the Week, sixth time. I hate to do it to you, but I love to do it to you because that's what you deserve for playing like this. Offensive line, Makai Becton came back and was awesome. There's a couple of really good highlights in this game of him knocking players over, getting a guy on the side, um, pushing players back. Tremaine Edmonds knocking him back like five yards on a push. There was one DB on an outside play, handoff, I think, to LaMichael Pirine, and Makai Becton had this guy, touched him once, and the guy basically ran 20 yards away, went out of bounds, and was like, all right, all right, man, I'm out of the play, I'm out of the play. Don't block me, Makai. 
The guy's that dominant. Um, he did have a couple mix-ups in here, a little more than we're used to seeing. It was his first week back in a little while. Decent defensive line from the Buffalo Bills, guy like Jerry Hughes and uh, Ed Oliver. Some of those other guys in the line are, you know, decent matchups for him. So it wasn't his cleanest game, but it was still great, and you can still see that dominance in there. He's going to be just fine. David Andrews next to him struggled mightily. Alex Lewis is slightly better, but we really hope Cameron Clark is the answer. McGovern had a couple wild snaps, but overall he was okay. Van Roten and Fant all were solid. Everybody basically had a penalty, I felt like, but I think that the offensive line is better. We're seeing more production from our running game. Uh, we were sacked six times in this game, partially because guys weren't getting open, partially because the Buffalo Bills were just blitzing Sam Darnold and not giving him a chance to think, and he's processing stuff slower than he ever has in his career before, so it's getting to him. So the numbers look really bad, but I still do believe that this offensive line is improved over last year, and... Uh, you know, David Andrews was a he was a big culprit for a lot of those those pressures and sacks the New York Jets allowed. So if you got him out of there, if you had Alex Lewis back in there, slightly better performance, and then if you could improve Lewis with Clark, I mean that's where potentially this year we start to see a little bit of magic on that O line, maybe a big running game, maybe maybe we have a hundred yard rusher. You could imagine that. So fine from our offensive line. We move over to the defensive side of the ball. But first, we've got to take a pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right, what's on tap. Switch with Father Time this week to get that one in early, so I had a little extra time to drink this one before reviewing it. This is a gift from my friend, Mitchell, a member of the board for the podcast. He brought Down East Cider to my home. We had a fight night over the weekend to watch the Khabib fight and uh, treated me with a special Down East Cider. This is called Dark and Stormy. It's not one they can frequently. Downey Cider is a very popular uh, brewery for ciders around where I live. They've got like an original blend that's really good. Fiance Shannon gets that a lot. They've got a couple other ones, like a pumpkin one that's out right now. But this was one from the menu that's like a little bit more, you got to be there to get it. And since friend Mitch lives in East Boston, he swung by there, grabbed us this little guy. And this is a very interesting tasting, uh, it's very interesting tasting cider. It's not what you'd expect. Um, it's kind of like got that old fermenty taste to it. It's dark and rich. It almost tastes like it's been like it's been uh, fermented in a rum barrel or something. It's got like that rich, boozy, rummy, fermenty, cidery taste to it. I wouldn't say it's my favorite cider I've ever had, but it's definitely drinkable. I don't know how much of it I would drink. Honestly, they pour them into growlers at Down East. Um, so Buddy Mitch brings these 32-ounce growlers to our house. There's not a lot of information on them. They don't have, like, the name written on them, the alcohol percentage. So I don't really know what it is that I'm drinking. I don't have a flavor profile written or anything. Just, like, a tiny little black jug that uh, is full of this dark and stormy cider. So a wonderful treat. Thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, that's what I'll be drinking for the remainder of this episode. That is what is fueling this Jets passion right now. So before we move over to the defensive side of the ball to see what the heck happened to keep the Bills to six field goals, we got to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, folks, welcome back. We are going to talk defensive side of the ball for the New York Jets. And in this game, we're going to start with the defensive line. The New York Jets had some pressure on Josh Allen. One of the big issues with Josh Allen is it feels like if you don't get a really strong rush if he's holding the ball in the backfield and somebody slips through 
and the rest of the guys haven't slipped through, he rolls the opposite way of the oncoming defender and then runs the ball for like 10, 15, 20 yards. In this game, Josh Allen ran the ball for 61 yards on 11 carries. He was the Bills' leading rusher in terms of yardage and in terms of carries, and he was beating us up with that all game long. But the defensive line did get to the quarterback a few times. My dad mentioned Bryce Huff. He had a tackle for a loss, got to the quarterback, made four tackles. He was playing like 30, 40% of snaps, so that's really good to see from him. Foley Fadikasi was involved in there. Uh, Henry Anderson actually made a play. He had a tackle for a loss. It was all basically in that first half that these guys were coming alive, and it felt like for the first time this year, like, you know, we're winning, of course. We've got 10 points, and the Jets are beating up on the Buffalo Bills in the first half, and it's like, this is what it feels like when you're winning a game. You can feel the players kind of, you know, everybody's pitching, and it's not just one guy doing it and 10 guys not pulling their weight. It was all working because everybody was doing a little bit of something. Henry Anderson making his presence felt for what feels like the first time this entire season. But the big player of the game, defensive player of the game for the New York Jets, is on that defensive line, Quinnen Williams. Quinnen Williams, a guy whose name is on the trade block right now, potentially, says Meta, we don't believe it, a guy that's had discipline issues getting personal foul after personal foul. Quinnen Williams, our third overall pick from a couple years ago, from last year, comes in, plays great football. He gets a sack, his third one of the year. Got that tackle for a loss. He has three quarterback hits in this one, four tackles, and he was the guy that was consistently breaking through. Played about 50% of snaps, a little more than that. And he was the leader, the dominant player on the defensive line for the New York Jets. Those three quarterback hits by far led the team. That sack was one of only two for the Jets. And Quinnen Williams, this was one of his better performances. This is his second defensive player of the game award of the season. And, you know, if he keeps playing like this, we just got to get guys next to him. You know, this is what he's doing with guys like, no offense to anybody here, but guys, you know, Nathan Shepard and Henry Anderson and Kyle Phillips, like these are sometimes decent players. These guys can have little moments, but they're not guys that you really focus on. They're not guys that you're double teaming a ton this year. And Quinnen Williams is definitely a focal point for defenses. So if you started putting like really good talent next to him on both sides and the teams couldn't key up on him quite as much, I think he'd be even more dominant. I think he's getting older, better, learning the position. I think that he's, Slightly better this year than he was last year if we get those personal fouls out of there. And I think, uh, you know, continuous improvement. He's a guy that we want to monitor the rest of the way. But great game in this one from him. The other guys in that, you know, defensive line, that edge room, you're looking at Jordan Jenkins, who's been silent and a non-factor on this New York Jets team right now. I'm like, I wish I could put him in the doghouse. He'd be in there for the same reason Chris Herndon is. But he's not making as many mistakes, and we didn't have quite as much hope and expectation for him as Chris Herndon, so Jenkins is sneaking by, you know, thank goodness for him, but Terrell Basham on the other side, he had one big play in this one, he had that sack strip that John Franklin Myers, JFM, picked up, and so, you know, Terrell Basham wasn't a great game across the board, but when you make a play like that, biggest play defensively of the entire game, you get a little credit for it, so good work to him getting the sack, the strip sack, and uh, JFM jumping on that ball, good to see that. Moving over to the linebackers, Blake Cashman is back in the lineup. He didn't play a ton, but he is back out there. A guy that the New York Jets can use. Hopefully we get guys like Harvey Lange off the field more, guys like Blake Cashman in, because Blake Cashman's not starting caliber player right now, but he's better than Harvey Lange. Neville Hewitt's still playing a ton of snaps. He tackles well, 13 tackles in this game, a couple big bruising hits, but, you know, he's got minimal impact in terms of big plays and uh, doing much more than tackling. Same goes for Avery Williamson. 
who had 13 total tackles. Only four of them were solo, but similar sort of thing from our inside linebackers that are like decent tacklers. That's why we stop the run decently well, but they're not big play guys who can do a ton of different stuff. So that's our linebacking room. When you look over at the defensive backs, LaShawn Austin had a really nice first half. He had a couple of really good plays, a tackle on a screen pass behind the line of scrimmage, which I love to see, and a really nice pass breakup on the end zone that was almost intercepted. LaShawn Austin is the Jets' most reliable, best cornerback. You know, Pierre Desir makes some big plays here and there. He's got more interceptions, more flash, but he makes way more mistakes and big. He's a feast or famine type of guy. LaShawn Austin is like a pretty solid coverage guy. And he's a guy that for sure, if he keeps playing like this, you can move forward with because that's what you want from those like, you know, second, third, or fourth corners that you have on your team. It's like a guy not going to burn me. If we put you on a decent player, can you do a decent job consistently? I mean, that's a great thing to have because then you put a great cornerback on the other side who can do a really good job against a different player. And now you're starting to put some stuff together. So I think LaShawn Austin is a guy that the Jets are going to work through and with. Pierre Desir, feast or famine guy. He almost had a couple big plays, gives up pass plays. Um, he's kind of all over the place. I think it's become clear over the last few weeks that Brian Poole is going to be the obvious slot guy. It's going to be Pierre Desir and LaShawn Austin on the outside when you can. And right now it looks like Lamar Jackson, that undrafted free agent that we've seen a little bit, who's been... You know, he's been hot and cold, but for an undrafted free agent, I think he's actually been pretty decent. He looks like he's the next guy in line, that number four cornerback, getting more snaps than anybody like Quincy Wilson or Javelin Guidry, any of those guys. So, you know, we'll see what uh, what that cornerback group can do for the rest of the year. But then the interesting one is the safety position. Marcus May has missed like two snaps all season, so he's in there all the time. He was all right in this game. The other guy, Bradley McDougal, who I've been a little down on because he's definitely been a little bit worse than I expected him to be. Um, he played his least amount of snaps in any game so far this season. And I think that Greg Williams in the, the defensive room is starting to kind of notice that, you know, McDougal is not an irreplaceable guy. The way that Marcus May should be on the field all the time, McDougal is not that guy. And Matthias Farley has been in for like 30, 40% of snaps consistently throughout the year, especially in the last, you know, three, four weeks or so. But this week, they also give that same snap percentage to Ashton Davis. So Ashton Davis comes in. He plays 30. Let me just verify it. Ashton Davis plays 32% of snaps. Matthias Farley plays 28% of snaps. And Bradley McDougal gets a season low 68% of snaps. So Ashton Davis is in there. And he, you know, you could see him on the field. His presence was felt. He made a nice tackle on a third down to stop a wide receiver from picking up. You know, they needed 10 yards and he stopped him after five, something like that. So Ashton Davis getting out there making plays happen. That's what you want to see. It wasn't a great game from him. It wasn't a dominant performance. He didn't have anything that was really all that special. But to see him in there, not making mistakes, getting reps, getting time in there, that's what's going to be important. And as the team gets a little bit more confident with him and he gets a you know bigger snap share as the year goes on, we'll get a better feel for his play style, what he's good at, what he's bad at, and whether or not he's a guy that we can move forward with. Because Marcus May and Bradley McDougal, neither one of them are locked in for the future. These are guys that could be gone very easily next year. Potentially both of them will be. But it all depends. Do you have a guy like Ashton Davis ready to go in there? Definitely have to keep monitoring that. That's the main group on the defensive side of the ball. Quinn Williams, defensive player of the game. Loved what I saw from him. Great plays by Bashawn Austin. Happy with that. Good to see Bryce Huff and Ashton Davis getting snap time. Good to see, you know, some encouraging performance out of both of them. So now we move over to the special team side. We had uh, an interesting game here because Sam Ficken's out for the game, so we got a new kicker, Sergio Castillo, 
who's not asked to do much. He makes one extra point and makes one really short kick. So, you know, I don't know how many weeks Sam Ficken's going to be out, but Sergio Castillo is a guy that's played in the Canadian Football League. He played in the XFL, and, you know, even though he's like a rookie and unproven, he definitely has kicked at somewhat professional levels, and he didn't let us down in this game, so that's good. Ficken probably is still the better guy. That's why he's our main kicker. As soon as we can get him back healthy, that'll probably be a good thing. Braden Mann, he had a decent game punting, one inside the 20. Uh, Andre Roberts is a really good kick returner. I mean, the Jets should not have gotten rid of that guy. He is a difference maker in the return game, and the Jets felt that consistently. So, decent game from Braden Mann. The Bills didn't punt in this game, so no punt return statistics there. So, we got to wonder, who is going to be the Jets' special teams player of the game? That's going to be one Ty Johnson, and why for his kick returns, three of them, 22 yards per average, his long was 25, and you look at that and you say 25 is as long, there's nothing special there. But the reason I'm excited about Ty Johnson returning is one, he's a young guy that we need to see involved. Two, the Jets kick returning this year has been horrible. It got big play Vince in the doghouse last week for a horrible kick return. We had some really bad ones by Josh Malone. Ashton Davis tried to jump over a guy when he got a chance and got, like, flipped up at the 10-yard line. If you go through in your head, like, just all the Jets' kick returns this year, there have been very, very few good ones. Ty Johnson had three solid ones, one after another. And the reason that he does that is because he catches the ball, he picks an angle, and he accelerates quickly. He's fast as heck, and he runs straight right away. He doesn't dance around and wait for people to catch up to him. Because it's really hard to do that when you've got 11 guys running at you and you're just kind of like bouncing around, like looking which way do I want to go. Ty Johnson just takes off. And so 25 was as long. But when you see it, it's definitely encouraging. It's definitely the best kick returning that we've seen all season. And when you see a guy that's out there looking better than other people have been at the same position, that's when you get special teams player of the game. So Ty Johnson, who didn't get any offensive snaps this week after winning offensive player of the game last week on three snaps, he wins the special teams player of the week this week with average kick returning. This guy's working his way right in. You know, he's not going to be forgotten anytime soon. I'd like to see him involved a little more as the year goes on. So that's the Jets special teams not a ton going on there. If we were Buffalo Bills fans, we could talk about Tyler Bass for like an hour and a half because it was basically him all game long, but we're not. So we won't. We'll move over to a quick preview of the Kansas City Chiefs game. And this one is trouble because the Kansas City Chiefs are arguably the best team in the league. Definitely a top five team in the league is any way you slice it. They're currently like 19 and a half plus point favorites. And we got to go to Kansas City at one o'clock. Kansas City is six and one currently. They just crushed up on the Broncos 43 to 16. The same Broncos team that beat us with a backup quarterback. They got their starting quarterback and got beat up 43 16. And this was with the Chiefs playing like a bad game. One of the Chiefs' worst offensive performances. They still put up 43. Special teams touchdown, defensive touchdown, but dominate the Broncos. The Jets are underdogs. The Jets should be underdogs. And this game could be difficult. Now, my dad's been very optimistic about this game. We kind of have like this ebb and flow thing where it's like, if I'm really optimistic, he's kind of not. When I'm really pessimistic, he's kind of excited about stuff. And so this week, you know, we're talking about it. And I'm like, this is going to be a freaking mess. Our defense is slow. Their offense is fast. That's a bad combo right there. They got fast guys running the ball. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is fast as heck. They've got wicked fast, you know, Tyreek Hill, Nicole Hardman. They've got Demarcus Robinson. They've got Travis Kelsey, who's a quick tight end. Patrick Mahomes moves well in the pocket. 
doesn't get flustered too easily, doesn't make a ton of mistakes, holds the ball, finds it just like finds a way to get at the players, and then when they get it in their hands, they're faster than basically everybody on our team. I don't see the Jets having a very good game stopping the Chiefs offense. But what my dad is optimistic about is he's thinking this New York Jets team can actually have a pretty good performance against the Chiefs defense. Now the Chiefs have like the 30th ranked run defense. So as the New York Jets, we know they like to try to run the ball. It's kind of one of the things that's been working best for them this year, as minimally as it's worked. If the Jets can run the ball in the Kansas City Chiefs and try to play a kind of gritty game running it and holding on to the ball, giving Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs minimal possessions by just draining the clock and finding a way to score, maybe we can make them a little bit uncomfortable. That's his thought. Maybe we can just make them a little uncomfortable, not win the game, not beat this team but not just get blown out and have it be some 45-3 to game. Now, it's possible. I definitely think that the New York Jets, a running team like this, who's potentially getting better and better every week with the offensive line and their blocking schemes, could have a decent running game against the Kansas City Chiefs. My worry in this one is if the Chiefs play their defense and just say, you know what, the Jets are going to try to run this ball. They know that we're a bad run defense. Let's stop the run and make Sam Darnold throw. And while we're stopping the run, let's do run blitzes where we cover the run holes because we like to run through the same, you know, three holes basically time and time again. Let's run blitz, put guys up there, and if they're not running, those are our blitzers. If they are, we hit them at the line. And in these situations, if Sam Darnold can't process the field, find guys open quickly, it could get ugly for us fast. We got to protect him in the pocket. I mean, we really want to be, you know, moving the ball and try to see some really good stuff out of Sam Darnold. But we also want to see stuff out of those guys we're talking about, this rookie evaluation year, the guys that we're looking at. Mekhi Becton, does he continue to flash? Can he have a good game and, you know, stay healthy, of course? Denzel Mims, can he build on last week? Can he get another? If he gets four catches and 50 yards, I'm going to be happy every time he does that because he's involved in the offense and he's just a rookie who's trying to get his feet wet right now on the worst offense in the NFL. And if you're doing that consistently, it's like, all right, you're a guy that belongs out here. What I don't want to see from Mims is a game where he gets no catches on three targets or something like that. And you're like, oh, he's a guy that kind of gets phased out sometimes. Sometimes he's in it. Sometimes he's not. I want it to be like, no matter what, like a Jamison Crowder, he's not going to have that type of production with like 100 yards every game. But the way Jamison Crowder, you're never going to leave a Jets game where he doesn't get a catch because he's just one of those guys. He's always going to get a catch. I want Mims to be one of those guys as well if he's going to be out there. So looking for that from him, looking for the splits in the running back department. We'll see what matchup happens against this Kansas City Chiefs run defense, but not just running Frank Gore. LaMichael Pirine, keeping him involved, seeing if he can build off of a strong week. Ty Johnson, maybe him getting involved in the game, being that scat back, some wheel routes, maybe some more creativity. I'd like to see Dawalagas call the plays again, honestly, because that second half was ugly, but that first half was solid, and, you know, it's better than two bad halves, one bad half. And Adam Gase has been giving us two bad halves after two bad halves after two bad halves. And Dowell Loggins come in and go, well, how about one good half? I could do that. So, yeah, he deserves another chance to do that. Let's see a good game from Sam Darnold. Let's just, that's the thing. We're not going to stop this Chiefs team, but let's see Sam Darnold in the offense move the ball. The Chiefs will score anywhere from 25 to 45 points. The Jets, can we score anywhere from... 17 to 24 points. That would be an improvement over what we've been doing. You know, maybe we'll even cover the spread where the Chiefs are getting 19 and a half points on us right now. Probably more by the time kickoff comes. 
So let's keep getting guys healthy. Let's keep evaluating the rookies. Let's see. What do we say? Two to two and a half rookies a year is the most the Jets have been getting. That's the average the Jets have been getting. Three is the most. The Jets right now have a chance to find three, four, five good rookies. That's what we're looking for. That would be a best Jets draft in the last 10 years. And that's what will propel us through the future. So let's watch these guys. Let's see him play. Let's check out the other young guys. Let's see what Sam Darnold can do. And let's try to have a little bit of fun. I'm not going to predict a score in this one. The New York Jets are going to lose. But there is still plenty of positive to take away from it. We'll be halfway through the season when this game is over. We're going to have another big podcast to do, talk about some players. And uh, yeah, I look forward to it because football season comes and goes. Think of where you were three months ago when you were like, I just hope there's football. Please find a way to play some games. Even if we could only do a shortened season, eight games or something, it would still be better than nothing. Remember feeling like that? Yeah, well, at least we're watching football right now. We are still somewhat enjoying it. And watching the Jets lose a football game is way better than not watching the Jets play football. Ten times out of ten. I just love watching the team play. I can go play by play. I can see one good play and be super excited. And I can forget about everything bad that's happened for like 10 seconds. And that's what I do it for. Those small little moments. And ideally, there will be more and more as time goes on. Hopefully this year. Hopefully this week. I'll be back to talk Jets Chiefs one week from today, next Tuesday. As always, thank you for joining me. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. <laughs>